It's Saturday morning. It's 10 o'clock. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And I have been informed by our crack research department that if you're listening on the radio, everything is fine. But if you're trying to listen on the Internet, it has garbled itself again. We are digging into what's going on with that thing. And we will come up with a fix eventually. But meanwhile, um, if you're... If you have a radio handy, use it, and then you won't have to miss anything. All right, uh, welcome everybody, the old standby regulars, the ones that we depend on all the time. Thanks for always being there. And um, if you're new to the show, either by accident or on purpose, stick around for an hour. I promise you, you'll learn something of whatever usage to you it will be. I cannot predict, but it should be a lot of fun. There's a lot going on as there always is in the world of finance. Everybody out there is touched by personal finance to some degree or other, so there's always something for everybody on the show and certainly a lot to talk about. We have our trivia question, as usual, coming up after the first break, and then we'll talk about some real-life things that are going on, and I'm going to save you all a bunch of time and trouble by pre-answering some questions so you don't have to go to one of those rubber chicken seminars that I got an invitation to the other day. I'm glad they don't take me off their, off their list, but they won't let me go. But I'm still on the list, so I get a lot of them. Yeah. But this time I, th- I figured I'd just tell you what you're going to learn, and I can do it all in a couple minutes and <laughs> save all that. Oh, the only thing you're going to miss out on is the rubber chicken dinner. The answer is an annuity. What was the question? He, he's been around long enough. Mm-hmm. He knows, he knows. All right, well, this week in the market, uh, I didn't like it. It didn't feel good to me. And when the dust settled, it was a nothing. That's why I told the uh, real estate people that I, it was kind of boring. But you may have a little different view of that. But, boy, I sure didn't like the action for two and a half days starting out the week. Yeah, it was a little bit of deja vu all over again. Yeah, a little bit. With uh, the the market in the first three days, they were all down. Then Thursday came, posted a nice gain, and it really looked like we were going to mirror last week exactly. Uh, erased a bunch of the losses on Thursday, though, so it wasn't wasn't too bad. Friday looked to do the same, and then it kind of collapsed at the second half of the day and ended up closer to flat. But all in all, basically a flat week. All three indexes ended the week within a half percent of where they started. The NASDAQ was up 0.3%, while the S&P and the Dow were both down less than a half percent. So really not too bad. Uh, For the quarter, all three indexes are positive, although the NASDAQ has been under the most pressure. It's up 1.7% for the quarter, but off 3.5% in May. So definitely some selling on the tech stocks in May. There was some churn in the uh, in the underlying sectors this week. Uh, Things that have been doing well year to date had fell this week and some that have been lagging went up for example energy it's up more than 40 percent this year but it fell 1.4 percent more than any other sector technology which has been lagging this year was is up only five percent and it actually rose a half a percent so it was uh it was a little bit of reversal of the trades we've been seeing uh for most of the first half of the year bargain Uh, hunting Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Small caps and dividend stocks, two of this year's biggest risers, were also down around 1% this week. So a little bit of profit-taking, a little bit of bargain hunting. Um, no, not a not any clear patterns emerging, but that's kind of been the story of, of this May so far. A lot of reversals, a lot of uh, something's hot one week and then selling off the next week. I had a little 
thing that I discovered the other day. I wanted to, since you mentioned dividends, value stocks, why why there's a shift. They're becoming more and more desirable. And it, this said, uh, this was just a list of expected dividend increases, quarterly dividend, just for the next week. It was well, Wabash and iStar and Ashland Global and Northrop Grumman. There's a whole list of them. So what's, what you're seeing now is a restoration or even an advancement of the dividend rates that started to suffer under COVID, which means people are going to be much more interested because if you're buying dividends, it raises the stock price based on the formula of the, the discounted present value. So I'm not surprised that dividend stocks are coming into their own again. Yeah, the problem is some of those stock prices are so high, those dividends, <laughs> the yield doesn't look that attractive, mm-hmm. even compared to the bond market. But it it might still look a little bit more attractive just because bonds are so, so low. Although that that is had did climb a little bit this week, just a hair. Yep. Um, and uh, it, it's at a, it's been hovering between that 1.6, 1.7% on the 10-year yield level. And I kind of expect that to continue. Um, I don't see any huge changes in the near term, although the Fed is kind of waffling a bit on its uh, oh, could no, it be? yeah, I know, shocking, uh, no raises in, in <laughs> 2022. Uh, I don't think we'll see one for the rest of this year. I, I think believe that's pretty certain. We might have alluded to that in the last couple of weeks. Perhaps, yes. And by might have, I mean we were adamant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Internationally, it was a very good week with just three major markets falling. Uh, Those included Brazil, Australia, and the U.K. Despite India's massive COVID problem right now, it was the biggest gainer, up more than 1.6%. The market kind of signaling they're probably going to get out of that, I would guess. Uh, Canada and Japan were also up more than 1% on the week. Commodities had a rougher week with the price of oil falling, but... uh, but gold actually bucked that trend and rose 1.7%. For the month, it's now up more than 6%. So gold's on a little bit of a run right now. Oh, time. Yeah, that is true. Well, we've been getting a ton of questions about crypto lately, and it isn't something that we put our clients into. However, we do have clients that do it on their own. Um, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't discuss it today, though, because it had a bit of a wild week. My, uh, my trivia question is actually on crypto. Okay. Uh, in April, Bitcoin touched $65,000, and then on Wednesday, it briefly hit $30,000 before recovering to about $40,000. On Wednesday alone, Bitcoin dropped 34% at one point and then rallied 41% from its low to its high on Thursday. A little bit of volatility. Wear a seatbelt. And uh, Bitcoin was one of the more stable cryptos this week, mm-hmm. actually. If you compare it to um, Ethereum... On Wednesday, it was down more than 45%, and then it rallied 55% to its highest price on Thursday. Even then, it's still trading around 2800 and that's down from $4,380 last week. So, <laughs> woo, buckle up if you're investing in crypto. not for me. No, me neither. Uh, Walmart reported earnings this week, which more or less marks the end of earnings season. As far as the numbers go, they were great. What wasn't great was the market reaction to those earnings. We'll get to that in a second. On both earnings and revenues, the beat rate was 75%, which is an excellent number, particularly for the revenue side. In addition, 16% of companies raised their earning guidance, signaling that they are very bullish about future earnings. Despite all of that good news, stocks that reported averaged a decline of almost a half a percent on the day of their earnings, showing that the market really didn't reward for good performance. 
My guess is that the market expected re- results like this, and we did anyway, and the increase was already priced in. And that, that that's what happens when you get a great season like yeah. we just had and, and stocks yeah. don't perform as well as you right. might have thought. You, you see, too, if you um, stick to the S&P 1500 index stocks, the earnings beat rate was 83%. Wow. So the bigger companies are doing really, really well. Hmm. And that is very likely to continue but the pace of growth that this year has seen, um, I hate to be too uh, 100%ish on anything, but there's no chance it's going to repeat itself. No, I don't think so no, either. you just can't. You can't come from a place where we are now and expect that kind of growth. On the other hand, the growth is marching along, and I don't see anything that's going to change that. I don't see any recessions in sight or anything like that. So. Right now, it's still looking good. All right, more on this. We'll wrap it up after the break. Don't go anywhere. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour. Welcome back to the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And our trivia question this week, as usual, brought to you by Ken Bales at First Coast Alarm. You can call Ken at 904-636-7888. We've been talking about volatility. We've been talking about crypto. And when you put both of those into the same sentence, you really got something. So those of you who think you're pretty good at riding out the um, volatility in the stock market, have a little look at some Bitcoin. Everyone in our business anyway accepts the general use of the term bear market, which means a 20% drop after the last high. And there has been one in the last four years for the uh, S&P 500. And that, as you might expect, came in at the onset of COVID when the market dropped something to the tune of 34%, constituting a bear market, the first one we had seen in four years. Now, in that same four years, Bitcoin has had more than one bear market, meaning a 20% drop from a previous high. How many has it had? So it's a whole number greater than one. Now, that kind of leaves the universe wide open for answers, but that's the question. All right, um, little little wrap-up on the market here? Yeah, mostly on housing, something we were talking about mm-hmm. last week, and uh, Angela actually promised that we would talk about this week. So um, I, I'm, I, to, uh, just to make her happy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Oh, um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, actually, it's pretty interesting. We were talking last week about supply and demand of building materials and the forces um, that how those play into the housing market and pricing and things like that. And they were very apparent in this week's housing reports. First was the housing starts and building permits, which both came in weaker than expected. Uh, And you might ask yourself, how could that be? Because we have demand that's absolutely off the charts right now. Yep. And um, But single-family homes were the biggest culprit. Single-family housing starts dropped 13.4%, while single-family building permits dropped 4%. Um, What's happening here is supply constraints, and it's hitting on two sides. One is lumber shortages, and the other is worker shortages, Home builders can't find enough people, and if they can find enough people, they can't find enough wood to frame houses. They introduced a new term into – thank you. I, excuse me. I'm going to interrupt this for a public service announcement. The Internet stream has been fixed according to my sources. Here. Okay. Good deal. So for those of you 
meaning my research department, want to check it out. And if it's not working well for you, please let me know. Otherwise, welcome everybody. Better late than never. Anyway, um, I think I was midstream on something about the the wood supply. A new term that was introduced recently in that business is unavailable at any price. Mm -hmm. And that's happening in certain markets where you want to build a house and your builder will tell you, well, it's up. Speaking up, remember about a month ago we had a trivia question that asked lumber usually run around 500 at a peak time. Mm -hmm. It had hit 1,500. Well, this week we saw 1,700. And that's only if you can get it. Yeah, and that's a big if. That's a big if. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just way out of control. The the mills can't keep up right now. They got so, behind with COVID, and then the yeah, building so boom. Housing starts are down. Is that a surprise? Yeah, the the more surprising uh, number was permits. Uh, you would think that they'd be pulling permits like crazy with the anticipation of building right. in the future. So um, that was a little surprising. But the the really the starts dropping is, is not surprising at all, considering what's going on right now. Um, it actually so that all sounds bad for the housing market but it's not it's actually really good because there is um the the u.s has been underbuilding and and not just underbuilding severely underbuilding homes since 2006 it takes 1.5 million new homes being built every year to keep up with growth and we have not had a single year since 2006 where we built 1.5 million homes hmm isn't that crazy? It's terminal velocity. Yeah, so we've severely, severely underbuilt. Now, we overbuilt for a few years before that, right. but we've way overcorrected for that. And so now the demand is there. These people buying homes are actual buyers. They're not investors, for by and large. And the, so I think that that is the, mark, the makeup of a healthy market. Now, we need to get the lumber supply under control and the worker shortage corrected and then things will return to normal normalish and, but and of course the copper all that yeah that too but uh, even the copper i think came down a little bit yeah, this they, week so all those things are self correcting because they get so high that the marginal buyer doesn't buy exactly and and the guy building his deck is not going to build his yeah. deck and in fact so, i've i've talked to actual people who have put off projects because they're just not going to pay the price of lumber it doesn't make any sense right now why not wait till next year and really? hope the price is down by half or more yeah i i see i see all the time signals that this thing is temporary as it exists now it'll it'll come down supply and demand always works some of those people come back in when it goes down far enough. It'll stop going down. We'll be at a nice level. The current owners are probably going to have homes that are worth a lot more than they were a couple of years ago. That is true. Yeah. So if you're if you're out there thinking use your equity for something or other, or if you want to move up, don't do it yet. Mm, I mean, fact, you, Ansel and Howard were talking about you can it. you can move up. It's just you have to find something, and that's yeah, the exactly. challenge. They were talking about the, to a guy about the buying and selling thing and. I was reminded of one of my own old sayings. I'd rather buy low and sell low than buy high and sell high. Yeah, for a variety of reasons, variety. especially with this interest rate right now. If Taxes can, yeah, and, and all kinds of things. Lots of good reasons. Yeah. Oh, and then there's that property tax thing forever capped at 3% on that a much less true. valuable home. Yep. The, uh, so people keep asking if we're in a bubble, and my answer, I really don't think we are. I know it feels bubble-like, but it, the, the underlying – demand is real and it's there and i i think that that is not how bubbles get started bubbles get started when there's a frenzy 
to buy, and it's not real and, demand. And they're selling $800,000 homes in Southern California to migrant strawberry pickers who've never earned $25,000 in their life. Yeah, and my favorite one, the $800,000 home that got sold to the pressure washer in Boca who never made more than thirty grand a year. Yeah, and never makes one payment. Right. But who got stuck with it? The lender? Oh, no, 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 not the lender because the lenders initiated them then sold them all to you and me and everybody right. listening. You know, Fannie and Freddie were never, ever intended to be backed by the uh, the. Uh, taxpayers of the country but you knew and i knew and everybody knew when push came to shove that's exactly what was going to happen and it didn't take congress two minutes into the the crash in 07 08 to to immediately have the taxpayers back up all of that stuff that they so stupidly put into place but i digress well there was a bit of good news this week too good news for jacksonville actually no Uh, kidding yeah, I think you you might have seen this. Uh-huh. Um, Dunn and Bradstreet is moving their headquarters to Jacksonville, bringing 500 jobs with it, and those jobs pay an average salary of $77,000 a piece. Yep. So that, that's a that, huge win for... Well, it's a great big white-collar business, too. Yes. So it, it's going to be good for everybody, and the housing market will definitely be paying attention oh no doubt about it there's a a lot of neighborhoods i can think of that are going mm. to really benefit from this change absolutely um, I, don't, I don't know where they're going i think they're still looking for property aren't they they've announced a location well, but not a building they are somehow related to black knight um, oh okay. yeah they so have, might be right down in the river yeah and they're building or not black knight one of the, the other, companies is building a affiliated. new building down there. I wouldn't ah, be surprised okay. if they were right in that Riverside downtown area. Okay. Uh, but I don't know anything. So Beautiful area. I just wouldn't want the commute. Nor would I, but yeah. not, not my problem. Depending on where they're now. In New Jersey, I think, that company's headquartered, right? I'm looking at the sure. article here. Yeah, that it could sounds be, right. Yeah, it could be that commuting from anywhere down to there in the morning would be a relief for <laughs> those people. So. And not having to deal with snow. and Oh, you know, then there's that, that. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations, Jacksonville, on that. And um, guess who has the number one selling football jersey in the country right now? <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Which we were speculating. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he, he may not even make it to the roster. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, we've. We've been garnering a lot of attention around the country and around the world lately. This little old river city, so congrats only, to everybody. Not all of it positive, but the only eh. bad press is no press. That's exactly right. May West at her finest. All right, anything else you want to move on to in the market before we change horses, so to speak? Uh, there's a few other things, but take it away. No, I'm, I'm ready to wait till after. Right. We've only got about a minute, um, minute, minute and a half left. Okay, so there actually was some other good news about Jacksonville. A report came out this week that uh, Jacksonville offers some of the highest wages for blue-collar workers in the state, which I was surprised by. I am too. We Historically, I don't believe that has been the case here. Um, we've always been have a very low cost of living, but also low mm-hmm. wages um, compared to cities like Tampa, Orlando, and South Florida. So I was uh, very pleased to see that you, as a power plant operator, uh, distribu- distributor, and a dispatcher, you can earn about uh, $78,790 wow. in Jacksonville. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Locomotive engineers, um, sixty, almost 62000 Elevator right. installers, $90,000. 
Wow. Some pretty pretty good wages, pretty good jobs on okay. here. I started coming here in 1978, and it was it was immediately a problem that this area had. Definitely, when I was looking for work gap. out of college, it yeah. was a real problem. I couldn't come back here. I couldn't no. find a job that paid enough for, to incentivize me to come back here. No, and I think the the um, attention has been to all the right areas. That we're we're a far bigger technology hub than most people realize now, and it has been getting better and we can see that with the people who come into our office all right we'll be right back this is the van we financial hour welcome back to the van we financial hour i'm steve van we and i'm adam van we and as we mentioned our internet feed has been restored so that's good and because of that someone has asked that i repeat the trivia question which i was going to do anyway but make sure of it this way using the standard definition of a bear market which means a decline of 20 percent following a new high, we have had one bear market in the last four years in the S&P 500. And how many have we had in Bitcoin, which is, shall we say, a bit more volatile than... A bit. Yeah. So how many? And we know that we've had more than one, but there's no upper limit on it yet. So if anybody wants to bracket it, feel free. Meanwhile, we have a caller on the line... Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Adam and Steve. Uh, good to hear your voice on the ra- on the uh, radio and the internet. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's good working. to be seen, as they say. Yeah, huh? yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, um, uh, I uh, just wanted to to uh, let you know that the building that's going up in Riverside is part of Fidelity. That's right, and it's the uh, uh, fifth. Is the uh, the uh, uh, I guess that's that's the name of the of that division of Fidelity National. Okay. So it's a twelve story building, and they're just now uh, getting ready to to top it off. Probably in the next, probably within the next three to four weeks, they'll be having a top off party. The windows are going in, and and it's a nice little project downtown. It's going to be a good looking building. Do you Definitely. know if they plan uh, to occupy the whole thing right away? I've heard different things. At one point, I heard they were only going to occupy part of it, but um, who knows? Yeah. You know, that that could change. I have, but, a, um, I have a neighbor who works in that uh, I understand this companies. is a kind of a interesting uh, side note that there's actually more square footage for parking than there is building. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's a good thing. Though. So, yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, so getting to the lumber part of this, um, I um, uh, it did pull back a little bit. Uh, the the cash price did pull back a little bit on on uh, on Friday, but uh, the shortage uh, is not due to a lack of trees. Although we've had fires and and floods and beetles and things like that, really the bottleneck is because um, the mills don't have enough uh, labor. Uh, and truckers to move the product, and the the, uh, the the stump fees have only really gone up maybe 12% due to demand, but the real uh, price increase has gone into the milling operations where it, the prices have, uh, have gone up by almost 395%. So it's the, there's not a lot of millers out there that are milling the product, so they are basically... 
uh, in the catbird seat and they uh, seat, and they're not planning on adding additional machinery or square footage because you know they they they're sitting um, pretty well at the moment, uh, and they're you know so long as there's this demand for housing, and, and that doesn't seem like it's going to uh, stop or slow down anytime. Uh, in the future, they're going to just maintain their position and try to collect, kind of like what the OPEC does with their oil when they right. when they have the chance to curb the 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 the, um, the manufacturing and, and and production of oil. They they can you know increase prices. So so is the uh, these manufacturers. So I thought you'd like that little tidbit. I'm going to take a quick guess at that. Bitcoin question, I'm going to say there were four bear markets. And I'm going to say that that's not just a little low. Okay. How, how about that? I, I tried, <laughs> that to, tried to give a hint without you, being too obvious. Yeah. That, 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 that just goes to show you how, how, how closely I follow Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, well, you and me, I had to read this one. I would Sound, never would have thought about sounds it. Sounds like you're a lot better versed on lumber than, than Bitcoin. No kidding. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm switching. I'm, I'm suggesting people sell Bitcoin and buy lumber. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm more torn. Like maybe I'd short it if I knew how. I just don't think it can maintain this. No, level. I don't. I think that the high prices won't be sustained. I, no. I think they're wise to not add capacity, though. Because yeah, me too. It, inevitably, the capacity will go back down to a normal, yeah, or, or yeah. the demand will go back down yeah, to a normal level. you'd be level. sitting there with unused overhead. And right. They could ramp up production a little bit now if the government would stop overpaying people to stay home. Yeah, it seems to be a trend lately. Yeah. So I, yeah, I agree, I read, don't I, add overhead. Yeah, I, re- I read one article where this gentleman uh, who owns a mill hired five people uh, on Friday, and only one of them showed up on Monday. Well, he's 20% better off than some of the stories I've yeah. read. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing it's out there. It's sad out there. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen. Appreciate the call, Keep Greg. Up the Thanks, good work. Thanks, Thanks Greg. All right. Well, like I said, I'm going to save you all some time. So I'm sure you get these nice color flyers all the time like I do. You know, the dinner at a fabulous restaurant, and they're going to teach you all kinds of things when you know darn well they're selling something, and almost always it's the same something. But here's what you're going to learn. I thought I'd just do a quick run through them and tell you. Different tools you have available to your investment portfolio. Oh, would that be stocks and bonds and ETFs and mutual funds? Oh, and and annuities. Yeah, because we don't talk that much about them. How you may avoid losing up to 70% or more of your IRA to taxes. Learn how you can disinherit the IRS. Um... Fully funded life insurance policies and deferred annuities. I'd also like to see who's paying 70% in taxes. Yeah, exactly. I haven't heard of that one either. But um, in order to do that, you have to take your qualified money, meaning your tax-deferred money, out, pay taxes immediately on it, and then put it somewhere else. So you've just decreased your money pool by whatever percent your marginal tax rate is, which can cause other problems one of which I'm going to hit in the next segment of the show. How you can legally eliminate taking required minimum distributions at age 72. Well, depending on when you were born, A would be live that long. And um, the other way would be switch it into a Roth IRA or an annuity 
that don't have RMDs. And or, again, that's taking all that tax pull it money. Out. Or just pull yeah. it out and pay taxes now. Exactly. All of it involves current taxation, and it has a big impact on how much you have left. Strategies on how to align your investments to meet your income needs. Oh, that would be you could annuitize a bunch of money or set up a portfolio that based on total income, like interest and dividends and capital gains and all that. Oh, in, that, in other words, what we do every day of our lives. Yeah, we do that. Whether the COVID-19 response brings higher inflation or higher taxes, I'll give you the answer to that right now. Yes. Uh, what you must do now if your goal is to save tens or hundreds of thousands in lifetime income tax, cash in your deferred account, put it in a deferred annuity. You see where all of this is going? How to keep some of your money safely out of harm's way without settling for low interest rates. Hmm. Would that be a fully funded life insurance contract? I have some statistics on that, too. Um, Fully funded life insurance contracts in the last 10 years have been outperformed by the NASDAQ by 138%, and that's the contracts that actually stayed solvent. These things are dangerous, folks. Anybody talks to you about life insurance, you please run, run fast. If you want to buy life insurance, you buy the simplest product out there, which is just a basic term policy. You buy it for the length that you're going to need to cover your own financial needs and that of your family. You stop paying for it when you no longer need it. And meanwhile, you take all that extra money you save by not paying huge amounts into this life insurance product, and you put that in your your retirement accounts or your brokerage accounts and invest it intelligently with people who do what we do, and you just let it mushroom over the years, and things are fine. You do not need to threaten your own future by giving a huge part of your money to Uncle Sam today. That's a codicil that we put on our investment techniques. I've, I've said this for decades on the radio. I said everybody tells you how high interest or tax rates are going to be when you retire except me because over those years no one put out a proposal which would involve higher marginal tax rates until this administration and guess who is fighting back on this administration now if you say mitch mcconnell you're partly right and if you say um, the republicans in the house you're partly right But they're not the important ones. The important people pushing back on the tax increases now are called elected Democrats from swing districts. I love it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is the Van Wee Financial Hour. Welcome back to the Van Wee Financial Hour. I'm Steve Van Wee. And I'm Adam Van Wee. And trivia questions still out there. How many bear markets have we seen in Bitcoin in a meager four years? And we know it's higher than the number four. All right. So you want to be a millionaire. You live in the right country. You do. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you want to be a billionaire, you live in the right country. Because That's true, Although China's creating them faster than we are right now. That is true, but we still have a good share of them. And, and they've got four times the population at least. Yeah. And the one I'm going to talk about today is a billionaire. And he was born in, uh, I may not say this correctly, Kiev or Kiev, Ukraine in 1976. I've always been taught Kiev, but whatever. Yeah, I thought that was it, but I just wasn't sure. It's spelled differently. Um, in 1976, where he lived with his parents until age 16, when he and his mother moved to Mountain View, California, to escape an anti-Semitic environment. 
His dad planned on joining them, but he never made it out of Ukraine, and he died in 1997. He later lost his mother in 2000 to cancer, so not a great start. Uh, Upon moving to California, a social support program helped his family get a small apartment. His mother worked as a babysitter, and he worked at a grocery store to make ends meet. By age 18, the young man had become interested in programming, and he he moved to the right place, and he enrolled at San Jose State University while also getting a job at Ernst & Young. It was his less legitimate interests that really kick-started his career, though. In 1996, he joined a group of hackers that included the founders of Napster, the illegal music (laughs) file-sharing service that changed everything about the music industry and inspired this young man. In 1997, despite never graduating from San Jose State, he was hired as an infrastructure engineer by Yahoo. He and his close friend Brian Acton quit Yahoo in 2007 to travel for a year. Upon returning, they both applied to work at Facebook, and they were rejected. Living off his savings from his Yahoo job, he purchased his first iPhone in 2009 and realized that the new app store represented a huge opportunity. Through his network of Russian-born coders, he put together a plan for WhatsApp, which was incorporated Uh. in 2009 without the code even being written. It got off to a (laughs) slow start with just a network of Russian coders using the app, and after a few months, he almost folded the company and applied for a job. It was his friend Brian Acton that again talked him out of it. A few months later, Apple invented the push notification, and WhatsApp became the earliest form of instant messaging. This was the first time that people could send a message instantaneously across the world for free. There were other programs that let you do this, but not with not using your own phone number. When WhatsApp 2.0 was released with, with a messaging feature, his user base jumped to 250,000. Acton officially joined the startup in late 2009 and secured 250,000 of outside funding for the company. They secured a small space in the Evernote building and started building uh, for other platforms uh, outside of Apple. By 2010, the revenue was 5,000 per month, and frequently switched. Uh, they frequently switched the price of the app from free to one dollar when they needed to slow user growth. They were growing so fast they would they would charge a dollar just to slow it down, and they uh, they were they were also growing so fast that they started having to turn away venture capitalists. And eventually, a one of the Sequoia partners, Jim Goats, finally gets finally convinced them to take eight million dollars in 2011. Two years later, WhatsApp had 200 million active users and a staff of 50. They decided to raise more money at a valuation of $1.5 billion. It was about this time when, of all people, Facebook took notice. And in 2016, Facebook formally announced they were buying WhatsApp for $19 billion. In 2018, he stepped down from Facebook, and it may have had something to do with his pro-Trump posts. He was quoted as saying, as somebody who grew up in the Soviet Union, Donald Trump couldn't be more right about the failures of socialism. As a Russian Jewish immigrant born into poverty who lost both parents at an early age, the cards were definitely stacked against Jan Kuhn from an early age. Despite that, he turned a passion for coding into a multi-billion dollar company and cashed out to the company that had turned him down for a job just years earlier. His net worth of almost $10 billion would say that getting denied by Facebook may have been the best thing that ever happened to him. Huh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Do you, you know who I am talking about if I told you that um, way a long time ago there were there was a baby born to a couple of grad students at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and they didn't have the wherewithal to keep him? 
and to put him up for adoption and a couple in California raised him? I don't know who that is. Steve Jobs. Uh, I didn't know that. I would hate to be known as the guy who <laughs> gave up a baby that became Steve Jobs. Although, Man, what a claim to fame. Although if you want what's best for your kid, you yeah. have to say that they did we, the right thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. But, man, that'd be a tough one to live with. All right. Roth conversions and contributions and all that stuff versus income. I mentioned that um, you can get into some trouble when you listen to these people that say you got to get your money out of your 401Ks and traditional IRAs. They all have the same thing in mind. They want your business, of course, and that's no problem. We're all salesmen at one time. Or another but they will they will lead you to believe that if you pay the marginal tax rate now that it can only reap dividends over the time by they, they lead you to believe it's that 70 percent number or something like that that you're going to lose it when when you um, take something out of a taxable account well those things are not exactly true but we had an a real-life incident the other day. It didn't happen exactly like that, but it wound up like that. So we had a, have a couple who, they both work and they both contribute to IRAs routinely, one a Roth and one a regular. We like that because when you get to retirement age, it's very nice to have a, a control of sorts over where your income comes from so you can kind of manage your own taxes. Well, they inherited something or other property, and they um, decided they were going to sell it last year and made a very, very substantial capital gain. And that was all well and good. You know? Ain't that America? Until it came time to do taxes. And all of a sudden, this capital gain threw them over the Roth contribution limit. So they called with their tax preparer and said, we got a problem. What can you do? And we said, well... It's not a problem. You made illegal contributions to your Roth not knowing. we got to take it out of there immediately and put it back into a, a, a different environment. It, it can be a taxable IRA. You can just put it in your checking account. It doesn't really matter. you just got to get it out of there. That's the law. Penalty for that is 6% a year, and you have to take, take out your contributions and your growth on it. So we got looking at it, and... This is when you might really seriously want to have a good financial planner. We realized that the uh, Roth contribution every month for years has been $150. Well, the Roth limit is $6,000. So basically what happened was they had an $1,800 contribution that should have been taken out and reclassified. Except, thinking about it, the year before that, they'd also put in $1,800. Well, they could have put in up to uh, 6000 So we said, well, you can contribute to last year's up to April 15th. So there's four payments that we just reclassify as being last year's contribution. And then we remembered that last year was that weird year where April 15th was meaningless because they moved it to July 15th. So we took three more. And pushed them back to the year before. So we took seven contributions and kept them as Roth IRA contributions, whereby only four then were, or only five were left to go into either a checking account or or a traditional IRA. 
Well, they couldn't contribute to the traditional IRA on a deductible basis, so then we opened up a traditional but non-deductible IRA for the other ones. That preserves the tax status going forward. Now, that's not a whole big load of money for somebody, but I classify it as a win. You kept all the money in the non-taxable growth accounts. You didn't have to pay any penalties and like that. Now, I don't know how many people, including your tax preparers, would have come up with that. You might be surprised to hear me say that I'm, I'm a big fan of tax preparers, a huge fan. But I find that they are not really on top of the retirement game like we are. We deal with it all the time. We don't have to worry about all the stuff that they worry about all the time. But we do get really, really intensely concentrated in the retiring programs, retirement programs. So it's just something else when you think about it. Real-life situations that would lead directly to our office are they're unpredictably huge in volume and nature both. So you know, it's pretty easy to find us. You've got about 20 seconds if you want to. Actually, we need to tell them how many, uh, how many 15. fair markets. Yep, 15. Yeah, but yeah that's, uh, web, website is the best way to find us. Yeah, bandwayfinancial.com. We just uh, redid it. Come check it out. Yeah, it's really pretty, too. I think you'll enjoy it. We've got a lot, gotten a lot of compliments on websites forever, but this one's really sharp. See you next week. Thanks for listening. This is the Bandway Financial Hour.